Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Brendan Prost, a writer and director whose films include Generation Y, Spaces and Reservations, and Sensitive Parts, small, thoughtful movies about young people reaching turning points in their lives, told with a focus on character and emotion rather than heavy plot points. That might be why Brendan chose Nights and Weekends, Greta Gerwig and Joe Swanberg's 2008 micro-budget drama about a couple coming apart after a long-distance relationship. Shooting with few speaking parts and even fewer resources, Gerwig and Swanberg used an uncomfortable, unflattering approach to their sex scenes in a way that sets their film apart from others in the mumblecore movement, suggesting escalating emotional stakes with every glance and gesture. The actors can't hide from the camera, and their characters can't hide from each other. This is someone else's movie. I, um, in 2008, I was part of this uh, online film festival called From Here to Awesome, which was organized by Aaron Crumley, who is the co-director of Four-Eyed Monsters, which is one of the movies that was at South by Southwest with the tandem of filmmakers that would later become known to their great chagrin as the Mumblecore filmmakers. So, um, obviously Aaron Crumley and Andrew Wojcicki and and Aaron Katz and the DuPlass brothers and Rye Russo-Young and Joe Swanberg. Yeah. And, like, around that same time, I was making my first feature as well. And when it came out, um, a couple of journalists, like, referred to it by the Mumblecore moniker, or, like, made comparisons. But I, I had really had no understanding of what it was. It was, like, at the same time as I was discovering these, these filmmakers down in the States. Right. Anyway, so I started to dig into it. And the first Swanberg movie I watched was Hannah Takes the Stairs. And I was just immediately struck by Greta Gerwig, who I love to this day, I think is just like one of the greatest working actors today. And I immediately had to see what came next. And I think Nights and Weekends, it was the next movie I saw. It's one of those movies that you just see at the absolute right time in your life, where mm-hmm. the, the material at the heart of it is so um, close to you. Um, and it, it just like, yeah, it, it destroyed me. And it was that special combination of appreciating like the uh, emotional quality of the movie that it is this like incredibly difficult and painstakingly um, maintained relationship in one half and then in, in the second half is this tragic um, kind of unrequited love story that can't continue but like must always continue in a certain sense yeah like being responsive to that emotional center of the movie while at the same time being so inspired by um joe swanberg and all these other filmmakers in the u.s who were uh trying to be so disruptive about the way movies were made and who were uh yeah just like making films in the same way that i was and, like, I was off in my backyard in Calgary making these tiny little movies and feeling like, you know, it was so illegitimate and so not serious. And here these guys were down in the States making films in a very similar way and having really touching people and really changing the conversation about the way movies were being made and, and how they were being received. So it was like, yeah, it was the combination of, like, those two things. I, like, loved the movie on an emotional level and it really hit me hard and it got to me at the right time. 
And at the same time, I was so appreciative of, I guess, I don't know if you want to say like the ideological mission of that movement, but like I was really struck as a filmmaker by what they were doing and I was really inspired by that. Yeah, it's it's hard explaining the Swanberg thing to people who don't know it. Uh, Not not just the Mumblecore movement, which is which makes sense. Like you can look at that and say, Oh, that's what low resolution or low light, or it's almost like found footage half the time where they're just, they're, they're not caring about turning it up. The Duplass brothers were way more interested in, in the visuals and the, uh, and, and Bajalski was shooting on 16 millimeter and, and Swanberg was running around making movies as quickly as he could, like as many as he could, as fast as he could. And he also was, and this is hard to explain now to people. This he was the sex guy. He was the guy who would do uh, graphic confrontational sexual stuff just to make sure uh, it was in there because mm-hmm. it was part of it, and it, it was it was an it was an essential aspect of his movies and his storytelling. And so when Nights and Weekends came along, it's like, well, it's the story of a couple told in two segments through mostly sex, or at least trying and then not trying and that that whole it becomes about yearning it becomes about need it becomes about desire and absence and missing and loss and and i had seen a couple of his films and not been terribly impressed i mean i like hannah takes the stairs i thought lol was a little like for for a film as short as it is it felt a little long yeah um but i liked what he was getting at i could i could sort of see something emerging and then when nights and weekends came to toronto it came as part of the Mumblecore festival that they arranged at the Bloor Cinema mm. uh, that films we like through like eight films into a week and brought people in. Gerwig came in for that um, and and she as co-director I think that made a huge difference as well in the in the attitude of of this particular film in Swanberg's um, continuum. Yeah, but it just I wasn't really expecting much, and it just yeah it flattened me. It it spoke to me like I would have been forty. Mm. Uh, 40, 41 maybe at the oldest it was yeah. my first first or second year that I was at now we had this huge piece about it I actually got space to write about it oh great and yeah and I'd just come from writing for Metro where everything is 300 words or less so there was no <laughs> like you couldn't delve yeah uh, when I got the gig at now the first thing I did was like literally my first week there or second week there I wrote about the Edward Yang uh, retrospective at Cinematech and I was like oh, 800 words to talk about Edward Yang I'm so happy right now <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, I think we did something similar for Nights and Weekends. It was definitely the lead feature, and it, it, I got to see everything and just sort of jump in. I hadn't seen Quiet City at that point. I hadn't seen uh, Frownland. Oh, right, right, right. Which I just thought was a bit, like, it's just a bit much. Yeah. But I, and, and, the, and Nights and Weekends was easily the best thing in the package, and it just spoke to me on both the technical facility, the confrontational aspect of it the fact that the sex feels so sad mm. that it's about people trying to hang on to each other and failing and it's so good it's just so good and i had just spent the previous summer the summer of 2007 yeah it must have been 2008 when this happened uh the summer of 2007 was the summer that kate spent in new york and i was here and we were going back and forth i was oh. going back and forth and it was just you know it was this big turning point where uh, she was there on contract. I couldn't move because Metro was unionizing and I couldn't leave because if I left as a freelancer, I wouldn't, like, they'd just write me off and it wouldn't be part of it. Yeah. So I had to stay and it was quite possibly the worst decision we made collectively as a couple. <laughs> Not for us. We yeah. were fine, but it was only for three months. But because if I'd gone with her, we'd still be in New York. I'd probably be starving to death because <laughs> uh, there's no work for film critics there. 
Um, but that's that thing. And so Nights and Weekends just spoke to me on that absolute primal level. Like I have been there in that situation, worrying about what's going to happen and not knowing. And confident in a way that those characters aren't because we were older. We're still older, but you know, at the time, it's two people in their early 40s isn't going to play the same way as two people in their mid-20s. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's one of, the, one of the few films I've seen where I couldn't tell at first if I was responding to it just from my own baggage or yeah. if it was really that good. So then I just watched it again and was like, no, it's really good. It's, yeah. it's really solid. And I mean, like, I think one of the like common criticisms about, um, you know, movies by this group of filmmakers is that, oh, you know, it's all this, you know, navel gazing of these young people and they have, you know, interest only in telling these like personal stories right. and it, it feels very, uh, you know, masturbational, if that's a word. Masturbatory. Masturbatory. Masturb- Thank you. Yeah, that's why you're the like film writer. <laughs> Um, but like, I mean, for me, I mean, um, they're so dedicated to just like telling stories in, in this really honest and really truthful and really naked way. And when it works, I mean, they're just speaking to these like really profound, like, uh, um, emotional, like truisms about all of us, about like the, uh, you know, like what physical time, like what physical space and, and what time does to us as people and to our relationships and things like that and they're you know it's it's a really simple trick like splitting the movie in half like that and it's not even on purpose like they went back and they shot all the footage later um but that little ellipsis in the middle of the movie like and i think one of the things that's so effective about the movie is that like it i i great movies make you imagine the story that takes place before you know long before the movie begins in the lives of the characters and long afterwards and I think one of the great things about Nights and Weekends is you can imagine a whole history for these characters, and you can imagine what happens in between the first and the second half of the movie, and you can also imagine what happens after the movie ends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because like they're the characters are so well developed. Like there's there's so many inside jokes. They have such like a really particular vernacular. They're they've clearly done like all the homework that actors and directors need to do in order to like you know, bring unique characters to life. And I think one of the other things that I, I find really interesting about it is like people, people, a lot of people hate the movie because they find the two characters aggravating and annoying, which to me only speaks to like the quality of the character work yeah. and that they're so unique and they're so idiosyncratic and they're so weird. Like, well, if you don't, if you have a powerful reaction to them one way or another, just as you did, like if you were to meet them in person, I mean, that just speaks to like, I don't know, I think how distinct um, the characters in the movie are and how rich they are. Yeah, it's I, the the mumblecore. I'm, I'm, even now, I'm lumping it in too. The the movement. Um, it's no. I, I wonder if Cassavetti's films were met with the same kind of uh, pushback in the in the fifties and the sixties when he first made Shadows and Faces, and people said, "Oh, you're just hanging out with your friends." I mean, there were complaints that you know you're just hanging out with your friends on a beach, and this is what we get. Yeah, but it's it's a kind of storytelling that kind of that that. It's a kind of storytelling that depends on intimacy. You need to be with people you trust or you're not going to get to these places as an yeah. actor. Uh, and, a, and as a filmmaker, you want the same thing. You want people that you know you can rely on to deliver something. So with with Swanberg, I mean, he's clearly comfortable in front of the camera. He clearly likes that aspect of himself. He's also really tall, which is jarring. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, He's enormous. Yeah, Yeah. I've seen a bunch of his movies, and then all of a sudden I met him one time at the Lightbox. I'm like, oh, you're like a head taller than I am. That's really weird. (laughs) 
Um, you don't look disproportionate on camera. Yeah. But um, but he's such an odd presence because, and I guess the, the same thing was sort of leveled at uh, at Lena Dunham for Tiny Furniture. Like you're only telling stories that you want to tell. You're only telling stories about yourself. It's like, well, that's cinema. That's storytelling. Yeah. It's it seems unfair to say your um, self interest is disproportionate because that's how movies get made. Like yeah. If you don't believe in yourself enough to do this, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So then to tell an internal story and to tell a story that's small and emotional and focused and to put himself in it, I mean, I just assume for most of it that it's cheaper than paying another actor and that he'll get the performance he wants. He knows what he wants more than anybody else. So yeah. it makes sense to do it this way. Yeah, not to mention, I mean, it's the, it's the essence of good drama that you speak specifically about, as specifically as you can about things that you know intimately mm-hmm. and then through like the the interrogation of that you hope that you find like an emotional truth that speaks to people in a much much larger sense like it's always boring when you try and talk at like a macro level or you're like you're 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 reaching to tell stories that you don't understand and you have and i mean like i think that's what like hollywood is often the most guilty of is like telling stories that they have obviously no emotional understanding of and i think like you know these guys should be praised for like the modesty of their ambitions and their aspirations because I think, like, there's an innate value in what they do, but also because it's so, like, unpretentious. Like, it's, like, no, they're, they're never asking for the movies to be considered as, like, more than what they are. Um, and, the, like, the amount of, like, derision that Swanberg gets and some of those guys get, I just find completely flummoxing. And as for, like, that whole, like, oh, you know, like, you're just, around, you know, on the, you know, hanging out with your friends and making movies. I mean, it's so ironic to come, like, level that criticism about these guys, like, Joe Swanberg specifically, because, I mean, the film industry is, like, built on nepotism. Like, everybody is just making movies with their friends, except, you know, like, you know, other people t- are probably doing it and paying their friends a lot more. Right. They're union friends. <laughs> exactly, they're union friends, and... <laughs> and you're right, the, the, like, Ray Carney is this great film scholar, you probably know, like, sure. say, like, um, has the same appreciation for these guys because he feels like they are, you know, the embodiment of the spirit of John Cassavetes. They are, um, you know, like, the the fact that they're making movies with their friends is, like, is kind of irrelevant. It, the, the point is that they're they're doing the work. It's not like they're lazy and it's not like they're, it's, they're not, that's it. They're not like making movies with their friends because they're lazy and they're not casting themselves because there's no one else around. They're doing it because it's, it's part of the process and it's part of like the work. And as you said, it's like, it's part of the intimate, um, kind of interrogation of like performance and, and like the, you know, the, you know, the self-reflexive quality of, like, millennials and, those, like, the social media and the internet age. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I find I find the amount of duration that they get to be quite strange. Um, and I also think it's strange that, that, like, that never found a place up here in Canada either. Or if it has, it's, it's come very, very late. Yeah. yeah. We have a few movies now, maybe 2010 to 2015, that kind of feel that way. Uh, I'm thinking, like, Poppin' Moody's Diamond Tongues is one... Where, uh, or, or maybe what uh, Kazakh Rudwanski does, they're they're not they're much more polished, but they use the same emotional beats. They're really much more about focusing, tightening in on somebody, tower mm-hmm. more so than how heavy this hammer even to just 
narrow the focus into this one tiny space where you're trapped with the character. And Joey Klein did it in the other half too, but that's a, a bigger film. Totally. Yeah. Uh, just it go it goes more places and does more things yeah. than what we perceive as as mumblecore. And yeah. maybe it's just that those never got released or never made it out beyond the small circles that they were produced in. Totally. But you would think that it yeah, we should see more of those because it's they're easy to do relatively, you know, like as opposed to putting together a one point five million dollar picture. Oh yeah. Uh, you can get a camera and make a movie for ten thousand dollars now if if you are committed to it and Hopefully it'll be worth seeing. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's a, such a weird place because now we're in we're in a, a, a we're at a point technologically where it is possible. Like you don't even have to make prints anymore. You can just take a DCP to a theater and it'll look as good as it will anywhere. Yeah. And is it you know is it a story that's worth sharing? Is it a story that's worth telling? These are the things that still matter more than anything else. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah it's been really interesting watching people take advantage of the new paradigm because you can do anything and you don't need to be answerable to telefilm or a studio or a distributor but you're still gonna it's still self-selecting it gets still people who are interesting artists that are making the most interesting stuff oh yeah and i mean uh, and who are like the the boldest is always one of the greatest qualities about artists that i admire because i i have none of that myself I think that's one of the greatest things about Nights and Weekends. It's such a brave and a gutsy movie that... um, Brave and gutsy especially to make in the context in which they're doing it, which is a movie that's, like, um, undoubtedly partially uh, biographical about um, their friendship in some way, as they said at, like, a couple of the Q&As that I watched. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, like, kind of exposing yourself in that way... And putting yourself in a position to have to like relive really difficult memories in order to reconcile them in your mind, or um, even to just try and like understand them a little bit better yourself through the process of like dealing with them again um, through art making. Um, I mean, that's something that I think is really rare outside of the context of like personal storytelling, um, and that's one of the things that nights and weekends is so heart-rending for it because there's these like these scenes in the movie that you watch that I, I mean like there's a great quote from the trailer where it says i mean it ceases to be a movie and it just sees like it just seems like a lived experience yeah um like some of her performance beats in that like i think my uh yeah that you just like you will never see in a in a movie that's like written and rehearsed and things like that like where they're in the second half where they're like standing in the doorway um after they've come back for the photo shoot and she's like they're standing like you know inches apart and he's just like staring at her knowing that she's uncomfortable and knowing that he's like her his presence is unsettling to her and playing with that and then watching Greta like shake like you can see the tremors in her entire body and you can feel the quake like the quiver in her voice and because it's also like improvise you can you can watch how the conversation gets derailed by the emotional experience that's happening in the scene um and i mean it's that that special quality that like i just like i've never seen in a in a a big budget movie um like i've never seen something that is so completely unpredictable that it's just like this unbelievable like high wire act um you can only you only get to see that when characters have a something that is so close to them that makes them feel like I want to expose myself. I want to give myself the opportunity to look foolish, whatever it is. 
Um, and I like as much as you know, like right now in my career, like I'm I'm trying I'm dedicated to trying to expand my filmmaking practice from doing like these little DIY films. But I mean, I will never lose interest in making work in that way. Right. Um, and that's again one of the things I love about about nights and weekends. Yeah, that scene that you you hit on something that I couldn't quite articulate really. Watching them calculate their moves, like physically and and the shaking and everything. Yeah. It's it's that perfect. Um, it's that point where both the performance and the character are working on like. How can I put this? It's the point where the performance and the character are indistinguishable from one another. Not the performer, but the performance. Where you're watching someone figure out what to do in the same way that the character... Like, it just it plays. Oh, yeah. It plays as real. You don't know what she's going to do because she doesn't know. And it's not the actor. It's the character, but it's also the actor feeling her way through it. And Swanberg just knowing to let it go is really interesting, too. It's It's... The, the Gerwig is such a natural uh, as a screen performer. She's absolutely fascinating, and I've seen her do you know what she does in Damsels in Distress, where that sort of arch poise thing, mm-hmm. and then there's a version of that in Mistress America, where she's playing a mentor character or someone who wants to be a mentor but isn't really good at it. Yeah, and then there's the other stuff that she's done, where she's like a ping pong ball, where she just bounces through because her energy comes out. And in this, there you get the sense that. In her, in the moment, moment to moment, she is trying to steer the performance into the spin. Like mm. She's trying to do all of it at once. Yeah. She's pretending to be composed, but she's, the energy is radiating out of her. You can oh, see yeah. the nervous energy. And then in scenes where, in the, and in the sex scenes that are not about dialogue, but are so much about position and who's touching who and how... The angles are... It's the only other movie that I ever saw this in is Crash, is Cronenberg's Crash. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where who's on top and who's holding what is actually the communication. Like yeah. The sex is replacing the dialogue. And we didn't get to talk about it, uh, which was a shame because I would have loved to get into that further. But she was... when we I interviewed her for Damsels, and we started by talking about Nights and Weekends, and she was so happy that I'd seen it because she figured that no one had. Yeah. Um, and... She kept saying, "Oh, well, that was really more like that was a that was a Joe thing," when she was discussing when we were discussing like blocking and stuff. Yeah, because I th- I think she wouldn't say it, and I don't I wasn't trying to get her to say it, but I, it felt like she was coming right up to the edge of and then backing away from saying that that's why she has a co-director credit because she was as important to the physicality of it as he was. Yeah, or that she wouldn't do it unless she had control. Yeah, and she. Like, it was vague, but I think both of those things are true in a weird way. Yeah. Without her, without her perspective, literally, it would be a different movie. Yeah. And I mean, like, when I've heard um, Joe Swan, I've heard Greta Gerwig say something similar to that. And when you okay. hear Joe Swanberg describe it, I think, like, he, he would say, I mean, like, the conditions in the movie were even more raw than some of the other Mumblecore stuff. And it's just the two of them on set and, you know, a camera person who's really not speaking to what's dramatically happening, what the actors are doing. Right. And then, you know, they've planted mics and things like that. So it's really just, like, the two of them there. And to say, like, that one of them is, you know, giving more direction than the other or is contributing more or contributing less in that you know, fully improvised two-hander situation. I mean, like, yeah, I would say impossible to to parse. Um, that seems apt to me. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you, especially, like, 
people often comment that Greta Gerwig seems to have like a, a limited range. Yeah, and I've never seen enough. They, they just haven't seen Yeah, they haven't movies. seen enough. And also, like, I mean, like, although some of her, like, like her, you know, superficial character choices, like, maybe I can see that. But the, the emotional range she plays in the last 20 minutes of Nights and Weekends is phenomenal. I mean, she she makes this enormous turn from being in pro- being proximate and being present to this man is so volatile to her. She's so kind of like hopelessly like re-enamored mm-hmm. uh, just by like staring him in the eyes and speaking to him. You can watch her just like kind of fall to pieces, like literally in that scene in the bathroom. And then moments later, while she's really discovering him again in this really intimate way in this sex scene, you can watch how her character's reaction to him changes really drastically yeah. in, in this incredibly narrow span of time. And on top of that, she's doing it in this incredibly challenging sex scene, doing, like, the... Like, in a movie that is is so risky to be doing that kind of nudity in, mm-hmm. and to be doing that kind of um, sex scene. And I just have such admiration for an actress who's willing to just throw herself in like that and really, like, put herself through the emotional ringer. And you can really tell when you hear them talk about this movie in particular, although all of... Uh, like Greta's work with, you know, um, oh Bombeck, with Bombeck, I think is similarly like uh, collaborative, maybe. Um, but the in terms of like how challenging this movie was to make and how harrowing that experience like sits in their mind, you can always hear them speaking about it in such a reverential way. Yeah. Um, that you just know it's like kind of something special. Yeah, it's the the sense that you're watching people. Um, with nothing left, not to hide, but to protect. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're all in. And the nudity is part of it, and the sex is part of it, but it's even the way, even the way they breathe at each other feels charged, and and there's a sense that, well, this is my feeling of it anyway, watching it is like, I shouldn't be seeing this. And yeah. it's not because it's graphic, it's because it's too honest. I'm watching people... Um, like stripped down to muscle there's there's no there's no defense against the camera it's that sense that it's like a documentary in that way in that you are just pushing and pushing and pushing into the truth of the thing and it's fictional but it isn't totally fictional there's there's this weird push and pull that creates this fascination to me of of uh it's not see it's it's not transgressive and it's not taboo it's actors it's actors you've seen in other things it's a situation you've seen a million times before, yeah. but there is something so close and claustrophobic and unnerving about the way that they are behaving in that frame that it just feels wrong, and that adds to the melancholy somehow. Like you know, even before their relationship is over, you know there's something off about it. Yeah, and that this this is a desperation that you're seeing that it's not necessarily performative, mm-hmm. but there's something under it and you just keep looking and you just I just couldn't once I once I you know like separated my own my own issues <laughs> from it, just like oh no I know what this feels like and right. that feels weird but then you start to watch what they're not doing you know what they're not yeah. saying and the things that are missing in, in the intimacy yeah and it's it becomes obvious that there's like it's there's a void in there yeah that reveals itself really really slowly 
Yeah, I think like one of one of the things that they do throughout the first half of it that really speaks to that is you can see the characters like swallowing their impulse a mm-hmm. lot, um, which I think is a real testament to the amount of development they've done on these characters and how much they know about them that they can that they can improvise in a moment an impulse that they can see that impulse and then recognize that the although the character may have that impulse at that particular moment where we are in the story right now, yeah. this is the time to swallow. The, that the great scene where they're what's that big thing in Chicago that big mirror oh the the Millennium Park uh, egg yeah the egg yeah, I don't know yeah how to describe, what, I, it has a name yeah but they're out there in the rain yeah and you know they you can see this you know the the long simmering conflicts that are part of any long term relationship that kind of like bubble to the surface in this really kind of like surprising and unexpected way and then the vocabulary that they use to like first to kind of like make it worse and then to uh de-escalate yeah are so it's precise like it's there's, really there's a precise sense of, there's a sense that it's almost like a language they're using themselves oh yeah or, or a way that they've evolved to talk around stuff yeah and i think that like that's the, like to me like the other thing that's really mind-blowing about it is i mean it's so rare to see this perfect synthesis of when 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 improvised drama turns into something that's so tight it almost feels like it it could have been scripted by someone who's brilliant enough yeah um like it, it almost always works the other way like you have a, a writer who's so virtuosic that they they manage to you know make it seem like it's all improvised even though it's all carefully done right. to have it go the other way is it just like mind-blowing and but it really feels that way, and is I I kind of agree with what you were saying about LOL and kissing on the mouth as well. That mm-hmm. just Martin, like his earlier movies, they do feel like a little bit protracted, and they do feel like a little bit like someone who's still learning discipline, like all young filmmakers. Sure. Yeah. But I felt like in this, especially when I rewatched it um, the other day, I the the rigor and the tightness of it, um, and the selective protraction. Um, was really mind blowing, especially in a movie that's entirely improvised. Like I never felt like their repetitive beats. I never felt like I wasn't moving on to the next most important thing, uh, and I never felt like that was a pregnant pause we needed to jump through. Um, and I was so impressed by, like, especially because you know these guys are co-directing. And you would imagine both had a, a hand in the a heavy hand in the edit. That when you're watching yourself, like to have that discipline about your own performance work, right. um, and sussing through your own long form improvised drama, like uh, is uh, I think a real testament to their talent and skill as as and both of them as filmmakers. I think so too, and also the the lack of vanity, you know, like not to protect yourself from a bad angle or not a bad angle, but an unflattering angle or, mm. or anything like that, because they really do look like people. There's no movie star aspect to it. Yeah. There's no glamour in even just walking around in a coat. Yeah. You know, you could you could do it more artfully potentially in some oh, yeah. shots, but there is just this loose sense that we're following along with reality we're mm-hmm. sort of just trying to keep up with what's going on in the frame yeah and there's there's that wonderful balance to the movie as well like you know a lot of like uh joe swanberg's early work and even some of his later stuff like caitlin plays herself it has like this lo-fi quality to it that sometimes is like is disruptive to your watching in the movie 
Um, especially if you're not like a film aficionado or if you're not already dedicated to discovering this cinema. Right. And I think the one of the remarkable, but then some of his later stuff is very formal yeah, and, and it's is quite too composed stylistic. Yeah. Mm. Um, and nights and weekends is a really lovely balance of it's raw and it's candid and it's like, um, not like de- it's unadorned, but it's, it's never calling attention to itself and it really it like when you were describing like the movie has a kind of a voyeuristic quality and i think that speaks to like the quality of the camera work and how like it always feels like it's in the right place at the right time and it's always making the right movement and it's not calling attention to itself but it's uh really really quite effective yeah like there's not a lot like you know they're they're some of their long shots i think are like some of the times they choose to do it um, in a long two shot, like them at the end of the hallway while they're eating lunch and we're kind of far away from them. And then there are times where the camera is right up in their grill and you can feel like the distortion of these, these wider lenses up close. Um, and it may be to Swan, he, it might be in his interest to continue to uh, work with cinematographers cause they, they lend so much, uh, to his, his work, I think. And I, I feel that way, especially now that he's made the the move to, I don't want to say like bigger budget movies, but certainly larger scale productions. Yeah, yeah he's leveled up a bit. Oh, totally. I mean, just uh, I was thinking of uh, Drinking Buddies while you were saying that. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, that that has. I mean, those are shots where there are compositions within compositions because the factory lends itself to you know parallel lines and and shelves and things. You just you instantly are working at a level of complexity, visual complexity that he hasn't really tried before. Yeah. But then something else like. And Digging for Fire has a shot where it's just a long shot of people outside and it looks like crap. Yeah. In the middle of everything, like all these other simple shots, it's just like, oh, you either didn't have time to light that or you didn't want to. Yeah. And it just reminds me that it's an inconsistency that, that's like a... I don't know that it's intentional. It's impossible to divine what was going on in that moment. But yeah. it just feels... It just reminds you that, oh yeah, he used to make movies by the seat of his pants and I guess he's still maybe trying to. Oh yeah. I think... Um... Um, and as I, as when I hear him describe his work on Drinking Buddies and Happy Christmas and, and these, and Win It All, and things like, you can see him try and carry as much of the process over into that, uh, larger scale environment. But I mean, it's like, it's a meat grinder, like, like movies at that scale and up from there. I mean, like, it's just like, it's the, the act of taking a great idea and, and just like, just like destroying it with a hammer, yeah. and and a lot of the a lot of those production methods, I mean, they just like don't work in the, those larger contexts. And I would imagine he's like figuring that out as he goes. Um, but most of it, I was like blown away by how well it transferred. When I saw drink, I could not believe how good Drinking Buddies yeah, was. I think it's a really strong first step. Holy man, world. yeah, and and that's another one where you know, like you put a bunch of actors who are not necessarily known for doing great improvised work who are making up the whole movie right in front of you. And it, 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 again, it's so close to seeming like it could have been scripted, but then you know that it was not. Yeah. Well, Johnson does that on new girl. I mean, you can feel that kind of loose energy. Yeah. Uh, but you don't necessarily think it's going to translate into a 90 minute, yeah, Harold sequence like where he's building the whole thing. Yeah, and then like in those sitcom, like and even like like the Apatow movies have a lot of uh, improvised riffing to them, right. but it's always in service of a joke, and so like like that skill is 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 a great one to have as an actor, but it's so rare. And I like I, I say that as actor as somebody who's like tried to cast actors to do 
you know, entirely improvised work. It's so rare that they can both do that and they can drop them in a dramatic uh, situation yeah. and, and, and follow their impulses to what's right for the scene and not what's funny. Yeah. I mean, I knew Anna yeah. Kendrick can do it because Anna Kendrick can do anything. She's terrifying. Uh, yeah. But yeah, when you watch, oh, Olivia Wilde, she's doing this stuff too. Everybody's just yeah. surviving. They're not just surviving, but they're making the best of it. They're actually making it work. Yeah. Yeah, and and discover and discovering what's like the most interesting way to play the scene. I think that's one of the things I really like about it too. Is that he he doesn't like he he dis, like he kind of writes the movie with the actors as he's making it, and mm-hmm. kind of figures out what the best way to play the scene is. And I, I really aspire to that level of collaboration with actors because I really. I always feel like actors who are like in the moment performing are better writers than definitely I am, but then like a lot of writers are. Um, but getting an actor to like discard all of the the things that make them afraid and justifiably so, um, and to cast aside all of those you know their ego and everything in order in order to have that true sense of collaboration and exploration, which takes time. Like that's one of the things I love about Mike Lee too. Um, oh, that rehearsal process. Yeah, it's so it's so rare, and I don't know why. Well, I know why more filmmakers don't like work like that because it's really hard and it takes a long time. Um, but I'm re- I, I continue to be impressed by how quickly Joe works, and then um, how rigorous that that work seems to be, because um, it seems really disciplined, and it always seems like I never get the sense that anybody's like showing up and just like like flying their way through it just right. like by the seat of their pants um yeah. certainly in other ways with the movies you know like yeah like they're maybe not spending the time lighting the scene the way that they should but i never get the sense like the actors are not doing the work that they should be or that a scene has not been like thought of like it, he's not coming at anything without a certain degree of thoughtfulness to it i guess sure yeah that makes sense and i wonder i mean i, I kind of wonder why um well not why it it suits like it suits the project to to have a an improvised vibe to it it suits the production but you yeah as you say you can't make a movie that complicated and not know what you're doing yeah by the time you get to set like you need to you need to figure it out yeah and it's always well always it's kind of one it makes me wonder why maybe Gerwig hasn't directed again or hasn't tried to she writes and yeah. she acts and maybe she's just too busy the career took off and she doesn't have time but I'd love to see what she would do on her own as a filmmaker oh yeah or just without that um, you know with with the resources that she would now obviously have and with the perspective that she's gained in, in 10 years like Swanberg yeah. hasn't really been interrupted he's just chugged along and there's a clear arc and Nights and Weekends fits a specific point on it it's sort of the high point on that part of the graph mm-hmm. and Gerwig, she writes here and there, but she. I want to know what her vision is. Like, I want to yeah. see her direct her own work. I guess we like we we will probably get there. But I mean, because if I was an actor and I kept being asked by people like Whit Stillman and yeah. Mike Mills and all these people to like be in my movie, Gosh. I'd probably I'd probably be like I don't have time to like do other things. I'm yeah. acting in all these amazing movies. No, as the saying goes, like she's got yeah. what to do. She's fine. Totally. But I and it, but I mean it's yeah it's it's because I you know I don't know if it's her aspiration or ambition to direct outside of the context of that unique setting. Mm-hmm. I would love to see um, her kind of like get back to doing more work like that. Um, 
because as much as I like, I, I really enjoy her work with uh, Noah Baumbach and Whit Stolman and, and Mike Mills and stuff like that. Um, I have not seen her do make the same like emotional commitment um, that she does in Hannah Takes the Stairs and uh, Nights and Weekends. Um, but yeah. you know, she's got a long career ahead of her. Oh sure, yeah, and it's true. Those movies definitely ask more of her. Yeah. Both as the... I mean, Frances Ha maybe comes close. But yeah. in that one, she's got to play someone who can't be read for most of it. Yeah. So it's a different kind of, of performance entirely. But, yeah, when you're when there is nothing else but the actors, the weight is all on them, yeah. obviously. Um, yeah, there's... Oh, I, now I remember. The other thing that uh, occurred to me watching Nights and Weekends this time, most recently, was that it is a weird echo of a Godard film, the, like the only Godard film in the last 25 years that I like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eloge de l'Amour, um, in, in Praise of Love, which was released in, I want to say, 2000, and is similarly bifurcated. It's, mm. the difference is one of them, one of the storylines, it's the same two characters, sort of, recurring. Uh, one storyline is told on film, black and white 35, if I'm right, and the other is really smeary digital video of the mm. time and it's out of sequence so we first the first one we see is set two years after the second segment mm. and what it is about ultimately is this pair of people who slowly come around to the understanding that they they should have been lovers and they weren't yeah so first we see them meet two years later and they're negotiating uh, the a sale of movie rights basically <laughs> and then we cut to their we flash back to their first meeting where they were much more open and much more romantic and something could have happened and it didn't and it didn't hit me the power of that movie doesn't hit me until the second viewing when you have the backstory yeah if you watched it flipped it would probably work but the way that it's presented is this weird mystery. Why are these people being so defensive and what's going on and why aren't they looking at each other and what's happening? Yeah. And then the second half comes along and it's like, oh, I get it. But then the next time when you understand those performances, it's absolutely devastating. So Knights and Reacons is almost the simpler American version of that where they, Interesting, they yeah. fix it. But it works. You can't really complain. Yeah. And it's certainly like I, I can think of it. Like, I, I enjoy when the latter portions of the movie ask me to reconsider uh, the beginning portions. And I think, uh, like, I don't know the Godard film that you're mm, talking about. Yeah, barely got released, but it's out there. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I think Nights and Weekends uh, does that um, a bit as well. Because w once once you know that their relationship has, has severed in some way, like, one of the things that I think you're forced to reconsider about the first act is how far away they are from that separation yeah. um, and what the eventual trigger is. Um, and like, and I, not like, I don't want to say like who's responsible, but ultimately like well, in the demise happen, of a relationship, yeah, you always want to kind of like parse that out. And I think like you reflect on a lot of those uh, scenes and who seems to be at what position uh, in the emotionally in the relationship, and I think it, it totally. Did. And another film I think like does that in a really like small sense is that I think this is a is a good corollary for this is like crazy, which I saw on the wall oh, right yeah. here, um, because it it basically like it does something similar except it extends like we don't really get the same gap in time. There's not so much of a mystery to it. It's more of a gradual gut punch. Yeah. Um, and then that that 
the entire last half of Nights and Weekends is essentially the last scene and like crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or the first scene in Five by Two. Yes. Uh, the Ozone film, the one that I was trying to figure out if it made sense to bring up at all, but it does. It's the it's the reversal it's told in reverse, but it opens with the last time these characters are likely to see each other. Yeah. And then goes back to the through their courtship and their, their, their marriage and everything. Yeah. Uh yeah, you you can I find it fascinating that cinema can do that, that you can spend two minutes and devastate a room just by showing people something they don't understand. Yeah. And then later it comes back to you. And you can do it in... Uh, I'm sure you can do it in text. You can do it in a book. But the idea that intimacy is such a an easy thing to convey and such a hard thing to interpret in mm. film... You know, pornography's there. You can fake intimacy. Yeah. For good or ill. But what these movies do is something else. It shows you the emotional uh, fraying, the emotional ties breaking down. And that's awful, right? Or to be trapped in a space where a couple isn't a couple anymore, or where they're they're together but they're not together emotionally, where they've disconnected. It's, yeah, I think it's because we've all been there on some level. Yeah. Everybody's experienced that kind of, every adult has experienced, that's how you get to be an adult. Mm-hmm. To break up, to understand who you are separated from a couple or what you are in a couple and, and all of yeah. that emotional stuff. And so it comes back to what I was saying, but the way I watched it the first time, everybody has baggage and we all have different baggage. Yeah. But we all know what it's like to suddenly feel the floor drop out mm. and go, oh, well, my life is completely different now and nothing has changed. Yeah. And then to uh, like maybe make peace with that or to, or to deal with that finally yeah. and then to have it revisit you in some way and to discover that you were not as far along in dealing with that issue as you were yeah closure's uh, a lie kids yeah yeah it's not a thing. thing you'll never be over anyone <laughs> That's uh, which is what which is what i love so much about like like there's that the, that imagery in uh, in nights and weekends where she's in her room and she's like watering the two plants and they both start to leak at the same time so when he yes. calls, she's like literally like like sp- literally spread herself out and is like ex- kind of exposed and awkward and like not knowing what to do, and it's like at this moment that he like That's comes back into his life that. and like uh, it, it's such like the perfect essence of that. Yeah, like you thought that the this relationship was behind you and you thought that you would never have to deal with this again, and then surprise and spontaneously someone is back inserted themselves into your life in this really unexpected way and who knows how you're going to feel and certainly i think i was when i was watching i was surprised a little bit in the second act how uh or in the second half how i guess how impacted by his presence she is like given what we saw in the the first half right yeah um but she really is kind of like just like completely shaken by him by his little gaze and i really can relate to that yeah <laughs> like totally relate to that and i think one one of my favorite pieces of acting like that i've ever seen is the scene where she's trying to tell him how she feels like in the room and they're both like is sitting on her bed and she's like I'm trying to tell you something and she's trying to like express it and he's just like staring her down and she's just like suffocating like literally sitting there and suffocating she has to get him to like come up with an excuse to lie and get him out of the room yeah. uh, in order to just have this moment to just cry and just break down. Um, and I think I was, yeah, I was kind of like surprised by the journey that her character takes to in order to end up at that place. And there's a weird, like all the weird 
uh, footage of just her, because there really is very little of the movie that's just Joe Swanberg's character, but Mm -hmm. there is that little bridge at the beginning of the second half of just her kind of by herself in the apartment. Yeah, yeah. Um, that it really, I think really helps kind of explain where she's at and kind of, yeah, I guess almost, almost like pivot the second act to be from her perspective a little bit. Cause the first of it, the first half is such a perfect two hander. Yeah, yeah. The second half is really intentionally or not. I think from about, about her a little bit more. Yeah. I yeah. think it's supposed to, uh, yeah, I think it's supposed to nudge us in one direction. Yeah. In, in terms of our sympathies, maybe. Yeah. And then to make us question why we're doing that. Yeah. Sort of like, it's like a, like a button hook. It comes back around again. Yeah. Because in order for that, like, in, in order to, like, read that, that last sex scene, I think, effectively, you kind of have to think of it in turn like, you have to think about the, the what's happening in the scene from her, from her position, and, because why he's what doing what he's doing after he's had so many opportunities to kind of like get to this but has like opted out and declined like it's a it's a really kind of the way they end up going to bed together is kind of like a oh like shouldn't it have been like the moment before this or before this or before this and so why he finally like capitulates says yes or capitulates and then what about him seems so different that she like has to bail you know, we use spoilers. Uh, yeah, we can talk about it. Right. Um, I think it's, it's, it's such a, a wonderful little, like, mystery. But I think it only makes sense to think about it in terms of, like... And I think it's even framed that way, too. Like, she's in the foreground there, and Joe is kind of behind her, and we're, like, watching her kind of, like... Like, he doesn't smell the same. Or he's, like, using... Like, he uses baby, and he never uses it in the first half, but he right. refers to his girlfriend as baby. Like, eh. Anyway tangent no it's all valid it's all about interpretation yeah and and that does bring us to the uh to the closer on the on the podcast which is you know what of if anything of nights and weekends have you borrowed or lifted or quoted or absorbed or you know incorporated into your own creative dna yeah definitely there's a uh a lot of nights and weekends and spaces and reservations i think like largely in like an aspiration like i i wanted to make something that felt as intimate and as invasive. Um, and I think, like, it also um, kind of entrenched my own interest in, like, um, dramatic improvisation as a means for performance building. Mm-hmm. I think, like, as I was kind of, like, studying film and, like, figuring out what worked for me as a filmmaker and what didn't, um, I, I was, like, I met a lot of resistance and like hesitation around using improvisation to build like feature films um and i i don't think that i would have been as inclined to like try it in the context of spaces and reservations if i hadn't seen nights and weekends for sure um i don't like really like formally i think borrow much from joe swanberg or like nights and weekends at all um i think i'm i'm mostly moved and inspired by his kind of the way that he works and by his uh values as a filmmaker i think um and i think nights and weekends is just like i think the perfect like culmination of of those things i like a lot of his later work um and i think he's earned an opportunity to like talk about the filmmaking process which is what a lot of his later stuff is about 
but I, I, I think that I, I'm not really interested in that. And so this was like the movie where he took those qualities about him as a filmmaker, not necessarily in aesthetic terms or whatever, but in terms of the way he works and what he is trying to do. And he did something that I wish, like that I wish to do. Um, and so, uh, Spaces and Reservations is like a, is similarly like um, inspired, I think, in terms of production process and in terms of as, like what it's what it's aspiring to. Would you consider doing something like that? That like something more like more explicitly like Nights and Weekends to put so much of yourself into the I, into the film itself? I made like right after Spaces and Reservations, I did a a long form improvised piece that put me at the center of it. And I intend to do so again, but it's, um, uh, I haven't met like a cinematographer that I like really, I think collaborate super, like really well with yet in order to like give myself away as a director entirely. Right. Um, and so I think if I found that, um, which is hard to find in like a no budget environment, like, yeah, yeah. you know, um, I would do it again. Um, like I'm, I'm not a good actor, but I am, I, I'm good in the context of my own stuff right. um and i i i love like as a writer i'm very performative like when i sit down and write i very much like stand and do the voices for the characters and things like that in the same way that you know john cassavetes would have done like uh, speaking to his his assistant as i've heard ray carney describe so many times but i i, I like to perf- like I, I much prefer to perform scenes than to write them down and I also prefer to like talk with actors and speak to them in their language rather than like um, ask them to assume anything from the script or the text or stuff like that. Um, and so, because those are all my interests as director, like it transfers well to like being an actor, and it's it's the same impulse, it's the same muscle. I feel like so. Yes, I would do that again if I could find the right vehicle. Okay. Yeah. Would you? Who would you want to work with in terms of in the scene? Like, do you have ideal scene partners? Are you? Would you even step onto a stage with Greta Gerwig in this situation? Oh my god, I would be. I'd be too terrified. I'd be dwarfed. <laughs> I definitely have like uh, um, friends that I riff well with that I would collaborate well with. I think as an actor, um, um, but I mean, like as a director, I have a whole host of you know actors that I would be on my wish list. So sure. I think like to assume like as like I would put myself in a scene. Like, I don't think I would ever put myself in a scene with any of the actors that I would want to direct like separate from that because I would be like too scared of them. Right. Um, but I, I you know I would act in things in a I guess like a a safer environment. You know, okay. when there were my career was not in jeopardy because I had Adam Driver on set or something like that. <laughs> like you know. They're very gracious, I'm sure. I'm sure, but if you, they don't they don't have time for bullshit. Yeah, that's you true. know, you know, and I like a little bullshit now and then. My thanks to Brendan Prost, who's helpfully posted links to all of his features and shorts at brendanprost.com. His latest film, Sensitive Parts, is now available to rent or buy in the iTunes Store. You can find Brendan on Twitter at bprost, all one word, b p r o s t. And you can find Nights and Weekends on DVD from IFC Films and streaming on Sundance Now. And, you know, you might want to take a look at Gerwig's first solo directorial effort, Ladybird, which opens in Toronto this week and is really, really good. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. 
You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever, that would be greatly appreciated. Tell someone you love them. It doesn't have to be me. Thanks for listening.